0: Terry Sear. Terry's here. Terry is a photographer, a night manager of a large company, a writer, gardener, cat keeper, and one of my good friends. Welcome on, Terry. Oh, thank you, John. <laughs> so, random question, if I gave you $200,000 today, what would you spend it on?
1: Oh. Probably porn.
0: <laughs> That's a lot of porn. <laughs> it
1: is a lot of porn. Absolutely. Isn't But I think porn is what makes the world go around.
0: Really? I mean, you're probably not wrong, but isn't porn free? Uh,
1: some of it is. Yeah. Did
0: you buy VHS or DVDs <laughs> or magazines?
1: Oh, I love the magazines. <laughs> you know, I think uh, uh, I've been working on this this new project and uh, a writing project, and so I went back and tried to find some uh, old porn magazines that I used to read. They were actually readables, not. Uh, Visual, And uh, I searched all over the internet for them. It was called uh, Manscape, I believe. and uh, Oh, first hand. And uh, I found some in a rare bookshop, and they were actually from the exact period that I was looking for that the story takes place in because I wanted to emulate that kind of uh, writing style or just see, you know, if it was what I remembered. So I bought these magazines, and they were outrageously expensive. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I started reading them, and I go, oh, you know, wow. You know, but it's amazing how much porn has changed, you know,
0: (laughs) in that many years. Yeah, I feel like it might have gotten dirtier. I don't know. Yeah. Is that Gary Busey line from Point Break? L.A. The air got dirty and the sex got clean. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I hadn't heard that. Well, I guess that's a good point. This is going to be my second question, but since we're on the topic of film, even if it's pornographic, what's your favorite film? Possibly not pornographic.
1: Hmm. Favorite film. I would have to say Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon. Um, and to me, that was the essence the purity uh, of what film is intended to do to set the pace and take you to another world another dimension and uh, one of the things that was that's most startling about the film when you watch it was uh kubrick used lenses that nasa nasa used which were extreme low light lenses so that he could shoot everything in candlelight which would have been the lighting of the era. And so it's this very sumptuous, beautiful film. And he uses period music. Uh, It feels sometimes like you're just in a painting, watching a painting unfold. And to me, that was... That's pretty remarkable, that all of your senses, you know, that he can engage all of your senses uh, in, in kind of the media... That uh, I think is most susceptible, you know, for people to, to be engaged. Hmm.
0: I've never heard of that one before. Oh, but, uh, Kubrick did The Shining, right? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. The yeah,
1: yeah. I'm a huge Kubrick film. <laughs> he's he's influenced a lot of my life
0: and myself as an artist. Cool. So. Very cool. Um, speaking of artists, how long have you you been doing photography?
1: Oh gosh, I think probably 26 27 years now Um, I used to work in the theater and I was a lighting designer and uh, I spent many years out on the road uh, doing tours national tours of shows and finally I just burned out of being on the road and dealing with psycho actresses and uh, so I decided I wanted to come back to Montana and I was like, well, Montana isn't the hotbed of uh, theater um, or entertainment at that time. And so, uh, photography was just a perfect segue. I was a lighting designer, production stage manager, tour manager, and uh, I think I'm a really good lighting designer.
0: I would say so as well. What's your favorite thing to shoot?
1: Oh, I like a lot of different things. I like to shoot rodeos. I like to shoot drag queens. I like to shoot uh, mostly people. I would say I'm really, really good with people. I feel like I connect with people on a really personal level. And uh, they, I like the way they always reveal themselves to me. And I think that's the fun part of photography is uh, you know, how people will trust you and uh i had read an interview with uh, robert maplethorpe uh where he says photography begins with a conversation and i believe that's so true and i've always had a conversation and i always try to engage you know my subjects and uh so i'm really good with people
0: really cool i was gonna say i don't just remembering some of your photos that i've seen or stuff around the house it's uh mostly people. And I know you have some pictures of your landscape work and stuff like that that you've done, but...
1: Yeah. No, I don't like landscapes at all. (laughs) So, I don't like to photograph landscapes. Uh, Growing up in a place like Montana, uh, I was always awestruck, you know, by the beauty and the grandeur and, you know, how the light changes and how the sky changes. And to me, I just couldn't capture the essence of that feeling. And photography for me is always about... uh, feeling you know is I think as as a photographic artist we always connect to the things or we photograph the things that we strongly connect to and uh, for me that was people
0: so Um, working into some of your landscape work from what I've seen you've done some pretty amazing landscape scape work over the years think I'm having a stroke can't talk Um, including the Victorian house and your own garden, do you still feel passionate about gardening?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Gardens are just sheer delight. It it changes every day, it changes every season. Um, I like that it's constantly challenging, you know. Uh, Once I think I've got an area that, you know, I'm mastering and, you know, it's turning out to be, you know, aesthetically, you know, Pleasing to me, uh, then I'll go through and start changing it, and it's it's constantly morphing. So,
0: um, what about? Because uh, I remember, I don't know if it was a year ago or two years ago. I remember it was a bad winter year, and it ruined some of your some of your trees. Were those frustrating points where you were mainly just kind of venting, saying that yes. you're done with the garden the next year? <laughs> or did you?
1: Yeah, there was a couple years ago uh, where we had a snow. Uh, after everything had leafed and I have a neighbor on the hill above me and I'd been cultivating this amazingly beautiful little Japanese garden I'd spent a lot of time in it bought some rare uh, plants specimens you know that I thought you know was really beginning to sculpt the hillside and you know build into it and uh, when the snow came um, my neighbor had this giant uh, maple. It was actually an ugly maple tree uh, above it. And uh, the snow fell, and the whole his whole tree came crashing down and just utterly destroyed the whole Japanese garden. And uh, I was devastated. I was heartbroken. I went out there with my loppers and began to chop the maple tree away. And uh, I just... I almost just... At points, just began to cry because you know everything I'd worked so hard for, just suddenly was had just vanished. So,
0: I can understand, that. and I think I was here for that. I somehow I don't remember if I was working for Roger and was just coincidentally here for that, or was oh. out, was out visiting. It wasn't the year that you got married, was it? No, okay, no, it was
1: a couple of years before. Either way, but,
0: I remember being out here, and I remember you were pretty devastated. Yeah, so.
1: yeah, and so that entire garden season, I just. Gave up on it. (laughs) I was like, uh, no, I wouldn't even go in the backyard. I wouldn't look at anything. I kept everything watered, you know, in case down the line I wanted to, you know, uh, get back to it. And eventually, I did. Eventually, I came back around. But that was a very devastating garden year. But you know, living in a place like Montana, you know, we're not really known for our gardens or our gardenscapes and. It feels like you're always battling the elements, um, and uh, it's a very, very difficult garden climate.
0: Which is weird because they call Missoula Garden City, and everything's Garden City, Garden City Plumbing, Garden City Landscapes. That's kind yes, of, that's always kind of funny to me. There's really only so many so many months to enjoy a garden, right? <laughs> that that snows. is kind
1: of ironic, um, because uh, when you drive into Missoula during the summer. Uh, that's what you see is this vast valley of greenness, and it was well planted uh, in, the, in its early development, and so you had all these massive growths of trees uh, that just, it, it was enchanting, you know, to just drive into Missoula, uh, particularly, you know, uh, the way the highway is built Above the city, so you can kind of look out over, particularly the downtown area. Um, but you're right, it's not really a garden city, uh, other than it has a lot of foliage and greenery during the uh, summer months. Right. But the summer months seem to be growing shorter or, you know, don't last li- nearly as long as they, they probably could. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, that was a lot of snow last weekend for for October
1: (laughs) yeah 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 I had my uh, uh, sprinkler scheduled to be blown out Uh, the what I thought was the day before the storm was supposed to hit and uh, so I had heavily watered everything in anticipation of you know, turning the water off. And when my buddy showed up to blow out the sprinkler, it was all frozen and we couldn't even blow the system out. Uh, so I've kind of come up with another alternative for cleaning the sprinkler system out this year.
0: Gotcha. So, um, And then something, I, I think I kind of know the backstory on it, but I'm a little forgetful and I, it's just fascinating to me. And just to kind of share with anybody that might be listening, how did you get into gardening originally?
1: Uh, well, I grew up on a ranch, Um, west of Missoula. Uh, My grandfather had gardens uh, that sustained our family throughout the year. We lived mostly off the land. I didn't know that. Yeah, we had a big, big uh, root cellar, literally a root cellar down in the earth um, that we stowed everything in, particularly uh, uh, potatoes and uh, carrots and know those kinds of things and then we uh, butchered our own meat so we were we were pretty much self-sustaining on the ranch and so I kind of started gardening with him Um, and uh, we had an acre of potatoes and an acre of just a regular garden so but back in those days I really kind of hated that because it was more uh, manual labor of weeding and you know keeping everything cleaned out, and uh, then I uh, developed a friendship with Gilbert Milliken, who had the estate, the big house as you called it, Victorian, uh, Victorian I it, house. I just call it the Victorian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, up in the rattlesnake here, and I rented his carriage house uh, while I was a student at the university, and I. I started helping him out in his garden and then he was so busy that I kind of took over his garden and so he and I pretty much developed most of that garden you know uh, I was more the laborer and it was his vision or his idea but he definitely taught me a lot about gardening and you know how to cultivate plants and you know prune and you know kind of shape and you know create a garden that will constantly
0: bloom cool you definitely gave me a meeting you gave me an appreciation for gardens which isn't much because I still don't have the passion to go start one myself but I definitely enjoy your backyard and when you do the movie nights and just summer hanging by the creek and seeing all the the beautiful landscape that you made out of it but yeah
1: oh absolutely I mean
0: I was going to kill I, everything next door when you came and stopped me so
1: yes <laughs> Uh, yeah I would say you were kind of the uh, urbanator
0: urbanator yes <laughs> yes
1: yeah would that be like the Terminator
0: that kills herbs I got your reference yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't have the jawline for it Arnold's got me beat oh does he uh, random question do you ever think you'll start kinky boots mobile once the pandemic ends
1: uh that's a good question and that could be the two hundred thousand dollar startup (laughs) fee see so it does actually segue into pornography it does uh so yeah absolutely cool so
0: i was gonna say in the beginning you can't invest it but that kind of works because that's a purchase but it's right i guess it's an investment Uh i don't know yeah yeah maybe you don't make money off it maybe you just do it for fun
1: Oh no 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 no. I I think I think it's a necessity that people need. And uh to be clear, it is a mobile S and M lab uh that moves <laughs> around the city streets. Uh so people can pop in during their lunch breaks and, you know, work out whatever they need to. Right. Uh and
0: uh then, you know, just continue with their days. So I do think it's a good idea. I don't know what kind of what kind of fees that would cost or proposal to the city but it'd probably do better in florida
1: yes uh, i keep envisioning using something like a uh a ups van um, or package car uh because you know it's kind of unobtrusive you know on the streets and you know you can use those uh, loading zones uh so there's some <laughs> free parking downtown
0: or is it the unloading zone <laughs> Well, in this case it would <laughs> probably
1: be more unloaded. Yes. Absolutely. So Um
0: Besides working in theater, I know that you left Montana for a while to travel. What made you decide to decide to leave? To leave Montana?
1: Yeah. Um uh, mostly to work. Okay. Yeah. Uh I got my degree in theater, uh, which was an odd thing to happen in Montana my parents were absolutely uh, appalled. Uh, They're like, what on earth are you gonna do with that? And uh, so I got my degree and I actually worked in theater and I ended up uh, traveling around a lot of the country and working for various companies and uh, did a lot of national tours and uh, I don't know, I just ended up everywhere. I realized I wasn't a city person, and uh, you know, my heart was always somehow in Montana, and it felt like all the time I was growing up, I couldn't wait to get out of Montana, and then all the time I was away from Montana, I suddenly couldn't wait to get back to Montana.
0: Because you actually, so, did you actually move to New York, or were you just living out there, living out there? No, I've never actually lived in New York. Oh, for some reason, uh,
1: I've been all all around it. I used to. Take three weeks in the fall, generally September, uh, was the month that they opened most of the new shows uh, in the Broadway uh, theater circuit. And so I would go and see all the new shows and visit all my friends that were still working in
0: the theater. So gotcha. I got amazing
1: house seats to most of the shows.
0: I don't know how I mixed that up because you did live in Texas for a while, didn't you? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. What part of Texas? Dallas. Dallas. Okay. Dallas is some nation state. Do you feel like talking about your time in Texas at all or leave that for another time? Mm,
1: <laughs>
0: Nothing too exciting.
1: Yeah, it was kind of uneventful other than uh, I madly fell in love with someone. And uh, together we went on this kind of journey to Texas. And it turned into this bizarre kind of strange thing that just didn't work out and yeah so yeah I was there well about a year Uh, and I did all kinds of odd jobs Uh,
0: was that where you were a bartender
1: yes okay I was a bartender I was a stripper Um, (laughs) not the kind with poles Um, but uh, yeah anything to make money yeah so I pretty much did everything all those foolish things we do and can do when we're, we're youthful.
0: would you make more money at, stripping or bartending?
1: Uh, About the same, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's all based on tips. So, I mean, if you could put together a good routine or some kind of, you know, something that, you know, was kind of catchy, you know. In the gay community, it's gotta have some kind of concept. Uh, And so, it's just not like, you know, and you know, I used to photograph for a while there. I was photographing strippers uh here in Montana.
0: Male, female, females. Okay, female. Females. Okay, females, yeah.
1: And some of them were working out at Fred's. And uh I was actually amazed at uh the concepts and costumes and things that they had actually put together uh to to make themselves unique. I mean it's not just as simple as, you know exposing yourself and taking your clothes off it's more uh you know coming up with something some kind of plan or idea that people will buy into and i think the more unique you can make those concepts uh the more appealing it becomes you know because you know i mean we can all see somebody you know take their shirt off or you know whatever and uh you know, so there's got to be something that feeds the fantasy. So,
0: Do you have a favorite song for stripping, or is it that the least of your worries when you're planning a routine?
1: Oh, it was generally Donna Summers back in those days. Donna Summers? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. what?
0: Who's Donna Summers? What? Oh. A oh. popular song?
1: I can't think of anything off Dang. the top of my head, and I'm terrible at humming something, so right. uh, you'll just have to look it up. I was going to say, I'll have to yeah. make that a. Yeah, a look up topic
0: uh-huh. <laughs> um, I know you've been hitting the gym again you're just there today what's your workout routine look like lately?
1: Oh my gosh uh, I've been working with this young kid named Trebin who's a wrestler uh, from, that just graduated from high school and he came to work for us at UPS and uh, he and I have become really good friends and so he has set me up on a program it's not just an old man program, it's actually a pretty good workout. And it's a completely fresh, new approach. Uh, I'm actually going to the gym six days a week. And uh, uh, one day's a pull day, one day's a push day, and one day's a leg day. And uh, uh, the exercises or the, the, the system that he's, he's put together is so well-rounded that I not even feeling soreness. So, which is highly unusual because generally when I change the routine at the gym, I'm like sore for a week after.
0: <laughs> so. And you said he's got you doing some compound exercises like deadlifts and things oh, like yeah, that. Oh yeah, deadlifts.
1: Today I did deadlifts. Today was the pull day. Uh, so it was deadlifts and um, uh, pull downs and uh, kickbacks. Um it's kind of seven, seven uh, combination, seven, seven rep combination, okay. so, and, uh, he's actually, when we started to set it up, um, he would look at what I was lifting and he would go, oh, come on, you can do better than that. <laughs> so he really kind of pushed my, my boundaries, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he kind of made me see, uh, new things in myself. That that I think are really helpful.
0: Sometimes I think that's really important just to have a even a gym buddy one to hold yourself accountable if you're meeting them there because you days that for me the days I get up and I just don't want to go to the gym if I know that Terry's Terry's going to be there so I don't want right. to leave him hanging or whoever Johnny's going to be there yeah insert a random name. Um, I just feel more accountable to even show up to the gym and then on the days where you're just kind of not feeling it and if you're on your own, you can do whatever the hell you want. You can leave or you can right. go, go light yeah. weight. But it almost kind of, I feel, pushes you more when you have somebody else there working out with you, especially if they're about the same strength. They're a little stronger than you. It's almost a little more of a competitive yeah. edge that you get. Yeah. Uh,
1: this kid's a lot smaller than I am. Uh, and surprisingly, uh, I lift... Almost as much as he lifts and he's been lifting for I think a good year and a half Um, uh, But you know he knows what he's doing right so and you're right It's it's fun when you have somebody you know when you have a schedule and you say okay Let's meet at 11 today, and you know you both show up and you're you're both ready for it. Yeah Uh, today was my first day on my own and God I just felt I felt amazing so Cool. I texted him and go I did it <laughs> you know of course I had videos so that I could do everything right uh, you know cuz I uh, videoed him while he was doing them and um, and he was kind of showing me and setting up the program
0: so getting the right form down
1: yeah yeah it's all about the form so <laughs> yeah
0: um, did you hike much this summer
1: I did not that was probably my most disappointing thing of the summer is normally I love to go hiking oh two to three times a week and this summer I just I just didn't. Yeah. You know, uh I've been working on a writing project and so I felt like, you know, with the COVID thing happening and you know I just became a shut in. And uh I really focused on, on this project uh that I've been working on for about three Three and a half years, and uh, just just had a lot of fun, you know, kind of internalizing and, you know, uh, kind of just pulling myself back. But I do wish I'd gotten out in the mountains a little bit more. So
0: it seemed like a hot summer this year, and I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe because the the year before I was still doing wildland and felt as if I got enough hiking in, but right, um, I didn't hike that much last summer either, and I kind of. I don't regret it, but I, sometimes I'll look around or I'll go for a quick walk or hike hike lately and be like, man, this is kind of what I moved out of here for was all the beautiful landscape right. and hike in 10 yeah. minutes in any direction you can be yeah. hiking on an awesome trail.
1: Well, it, it also helps when you have a buddy, you know, that you want to show that to, you know, like this, the uh, summer that you were here or spring you were here, mm-hmm. we hiked almost every single day. Yeah. Uh, and you know I love that, but it was also kind of showing you, you know, and as you show somebody that's from out of town, out of state, uh, your the reasons you're here, you know, is it really makes you fall in love again with you know all the things that that you really admire and appreciate about being in a place like Montana.
0: I agree. So um, when Jared was here a few is that a month ago now few weeks ago a month ago whatever it was jared came to visit and we didn't go on a lot of hikes but we went and did sentinel yeah and i realized how out of shape i've become because yeah. I, I remember halfway three quarters of the way up i just forgot how long of a hike it to do north sentinel the whole right like not just yeah. the M. um yeah i felt really out of shape and i kept hoping he'd want to he'd want to turn around or he oh. say he has a blister or some excuse to go back to the truck but um we went also out to um Good gosh! Why well, am I mind blinking? Uh, Rock Creek, and went hiking oh, yeah. hiking around there were the little uh, the suspension bridges. Oh yeah! And just kind of sh- hiking with him and showing him and seeing his appreciation for how right pretty it is. Yeah, you and, see it
1: through somebody else's. Yeah, arms. it's kind of again, it, so. it
0: kind of opens your eyes to to being pretty grateful for where you live. And I I need to get out more. It's all just excuses why I don't for sure don't go hit the trail, but and laziness. Um. Do you want to talk about your project, or do you want to keep it a secret?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'd, I'd be up for talking about it. And I've been working on this uh, writing project for about three and a half years. And uh, it's a book, uh, a fictional book, uh, about an older man who falls... Well, I don't know that they fall in love, but he falls for this younger guy, and uh, I wanted to set up this kind of cross-cultural kind of idea of how gay culture has changed uh, from 30 years ago. Right. You know, so this way I can put these two people together that are ones in the modern era and ones in the older era, you know, and kind of show the clash of change and, you know, how their differences, you know, merge and uh, how, how, how it separates them. And uh, so through the course of the story, um, the, the character's name is Cricket Worthington, Cricket uh, Worthington. Yes. What gave yeah. you
0: the? What made you come up with that name? Uh,
1: that I would rather not divulge. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, the character's name is Cricket Worthington, and uh, it's like uh, all the things that I hate and love about gay culture. You know, kind of come to play in, throughout this story. Because, you know, I think in many ways, we as a culture are becoming so desensitized. And I don't think that's just gay culture, you know, but I think it's the world in general. And we're becoming desensitized by um, uh, social media and always on our cell phones and our devices and things like that. And I felt like, you know, back, you know, when I was younger and first kind of discovering my own sexuality, you know, it was like more of a face-to-face. You had to meet someone face-to-face. And uh, it felt like, you know, uh, being gay in those days was extremely taboo, particularly growing up in a place like Montana. And the story is set in a place like Montana. It's never described as Montana, but it's kind of got the mountains and, you know, all of that. And it takes place uh d- during a vast forest fire that is just like burning the whole area you know and so uh crickets world is kind of shrouded in this uh, in this smoke and he's trying to find his way kind of back uh to find himself and figure out who he was and you know culturally center himself again so that's more of the crux of what the story is, the whole story is about. So, I don't want to give away the ending, okay. but the ending is really, really fun. So. <laughs> um,
0: is it a fictitious town that you made up? Or, yes, or, okay.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything about it is fictitious. Is
0: it, do you so. give the give the name of the town in the, in the book? No, no, uh, okay. no. It's just a... No, no. Okay, undisclosed. So, yeah. Well, you kind of answered my question, because I was going to ask you, um, if you're interested in talking about what it was like growing up being gay in Missoula, and I don't know if that's the correct... Correct me if that's the wrong way to ask or if it's Uh, a better way to ask that question. I
1: I think it was exciting, but I also felt that it was kind of dangerous. Uh, mm, Not dangerous in the sense of feeling bodily harm, but more emotional danger uh, to, to put yourself out there and to, you know, identify with uh, a culture that was, wasn't understood. And uh, so I feel like it's been a, a huge, huge journey, you know, to find myself and to discover And to trust myself, you know, particularly as a gay artist. Um, And uh, it feels like um, sometimes we just kind of get lost in in things we don't understand. And people are generally pretty negative about things that they don't understand. And so um, I always felt like I was somewhat threatened. So I don't think I've ever been threatened with bodily harm.
0: So hmm. does that answer your question? It does. Do you think it was? Do you think it was like that in a lot of different place parts of the country, or do you think it was a?
1: Yes, I think I think that was just the nature of you know the 70s. You know, I think every every place was was exploding with that. You know, of course the the cultural epicenters, you know, where gay people were congregating were New York City. And uh, if you look at the art uh, during the 70s, you know, particularly in in New York City, gay artists, uh, Robert Mapplethorpe, Andy Warhol, you know, is they were all kind of trying to find themselves. And, uh, you know, to me, it's probably one of the most fascinating periods to look at, you know, of finding that liberation and then unfortunately, you know, Uh, When everybody starts to feel comfortable and, you know, uh, the culture starts to thrive, you know, it gets hit with the AIDS epidemic and, you know, that kind of repressed and pushed everybody back, you know, into the dark ages in a lot of ways, but it also built the community um, and strengthened it because we basically had to just support each other. You know because so many of us were dying at that point Wow. so and this project that I'm working on it kind of covers that you know it kind of delves into a lot of that uh, it's got some suicide issues in it you know because I think a lot of people were uh, committing suicide and uh, so it's kind of a lot of internalized homophobia that we feel about ourselves and trying to find ourselves as a culture and you know I think these are issues that that you know a lot of writers don't tackle and uh, I I'm a huge fan of reading uh, gay literature I love gay literature and I haven't seen a lot of these issues you know that I'm dealing with in this story Mm -hmm. come up in other stories uh, particularly in a kind of a rural setting um, that just is never really discussed. I think, you know, Annie Prue did it with uh, Brokeback Mountain, but.
0: Uh, was that a novel as well as a movie? No, it was
1: actually a short story. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember reading the short story uh, when I was in Singapore. Uh, a friend of mine gave it to me, and she said, You've got to sit down and you just got to read this in one sitting. And I sat there and read it uh, and was utterly crying by the end of the story. And uh, a lot of it was because, you know, growing up in Montana, growing up on a cattle ranch, uh, is uh, I I finally f- thought it was something that I could identify with, you know, because I think in the queer culture, uh, we're always thinking towards the cities or towards something bigger. You know, I think as, as a gay person, uh, Montana was such a backward state, you know, that your first impulses are just flee it, you know, to get out, get the hell out of here, you know, and go find ourselves, you know. And uh, so Brokeback Mountain kind of brought that back, you know, into, and there was a reality there, you know, that was kind of tragic, and uh, the short story is actually much more, I think, enthralling than the movie. Uh, the movie actually is longer than it takes to read the short story, so uh, because it is a short story. Right. But uh, Annie proved did an amazing job of writing that. It's probably it's still probably one of my
0: my favorite stories. Cool. So I, d- I didn't know that that was a, a short story before, but
1: yeah. Yeah, when Ang Lee announced that he was going to uh, direct it, and he was directing it uh, in Canada, right above Montana, is I wrote him a letter and uh, asked if I could work on the crew because I so loved the story so much. And he actually called me back. And he said that he could not hire me uh, because of the uh, union laws of the Canadian uh, culture up there they could the the only outside uh people outside of Canada that they could hire uh were um uh, the actors that were actually in the films wow. so yeah
0: that's pretty cool he took the time to at least call you back yeah. though
1: yeah yeah and uh the gal that played Alma uh was actually from Kalispell so
0: Alma she's the the wife in the movie. Yeah, she's you know, the
1: girl? wife in the movie and uh what is her name?
0: I can't think of it off the top. Yeah, of
1: she's a really famous actress now. So yeah, she married Heath Ledger. Uh they met they actually met on Brokeback. and they had a kid together before he died. Uh, so anyway.
0: Yeah, I can't think either. Another another look up for me. Yeah. Um, just kind of touching on the, this, the suicide part you talked about earlier, do you think it was over fear of not being accepted?
1: Well, I think that there was a lot of, you know, denial, um, of who people were. There was a lot of rejection from, you know, their families and it it was, it was kind of harsh and it was tough. You know, it was hard to find a community. It was uh, hard to find any kind of sense of belonging and uh I think that uh a lot of gay people were committing suicide. There's still a lot of gay teens that commit suicide. I mean that is a big, big issue in me. our in our in our country, yeah, you know, but when the AIDS epidemic happened, you know it felt like I knew more people that were actually committing suicide uh when they found out that they were HIV positive or had AIDS uh, because you know it seemed like a, a kind you know escape from the horrors that you know was being portrayed in the media and it was hor it was horrific what was happening Wow you know and so you know I remember there were kind of perhaps this was joked about but there were parties planned you know for uh, the passing of People who knew that they had reached that point and no return, so like kind one, of a one say say goodbye,
0: yeah, yeah, in
1: fact, Eric Roberts made a movie about it um so
0: what's that what's that movie
1: uh I think it's called it's my party hmm. um yeah, and it's got Greg Laganus and had lots of celebrities in it, you know, so. Yeah,
0: I'm gonna have to hit you up for some more movie advice as I yeah. sit and struggle. I remember
1: it wasn't a particularly good
0: movie, oh. uh,
1: but it was a movie that captured the essence of what that you probably
0: can't even find it these days. Yeah. So maybe Amazon, there, a lot of stuff's going to where you can stream it, but yeah, there's still yeah. certain. Uh, what movie was I looking for the other day? True Romance or something like that? Yeah, like, some movie that I couldn't find on Amazon Prime. So there are some that yeah, for whatever reason, just aren't making it to streaming, and I. I don't know if you got to buy the DVD or what. Yeah. but There's been a couple like. Well, f-
1: for some reason, there is a lot of the the movies that was made about or that were made about, you know, the AIDS epidemic, um, are no longer available. You know, they're mm-hmm. not even. I've searched and searched and searched for them, uh, and they're just they they've somehow disappeared or, you know, they're lacking. You know, like one of my favorites was a longtime companion. It was probably the first really open uh, movie to deal with, you know, the HIV community and what was happening and how how the AIDS epidemic, you know, really started to devastate, you know, gay culture. So, so.
0: Did you see, did you like Dallas Buyers Club with Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, I, I did, did
1: like that. that. I thought that was a really good, very I, sad,
0: but a very. I thought it was really dark. Yeah.
1: Yeah yeah so yeah, he's yeah i i felt that really went back and kind of captured the essence of that of that that time so there's quite a bit of literature that was written you know about that that era and that time um but i i don't think much of the film actually survives anymore so it's too bad too so
0: Um, I'm jumping back a little bit, but it's just a question that I always kind of forget to ask, and I'm curious. Um, Gilbert, who owned the Victorian house next door, would you say he was a pretty big mentor in your life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. He was probably the crucial person that Taught me respect for myself and gave me a sense of identity and uh, made me feel um, fearless, you know, about who I was and uh, just made me respect and uh, appreciate more what I had to offer to the world. He was the one that actually got me into photography. Um, uh, because, you know, I'd returned to Montana and I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And (laughs) of course he knew every artist in Missoula. And so his pulse was the, and, uh, so I saw that there was a photography school. And so I went to that and he helped me, you know, buy my first equipment and, you know, helped finance, you know, part of that. And, uh, he just always always encouraged me. So, yeah. And uh, we were really great friends. He's the one person that I just miss dearly. Yeah. So.
0: From everything you told me, it's one of those people that obviously never had the chance to meet but wish I could have just because it sounded like such yeah. a, just a fascinating guy. Kind yeah. of a, um, a really... You know wealthy and knowledgeable guy, but also kind of a hermit, and like to yeah stay very private and yeah, very
1: it. reclusive um and he was extremely generous, you know when he died uh we settled the uh his estate, and I believe it came out to about six million dollars, and all of that was donated to arts charities for wow. arts charities wow uh one of them is uh funding that
0: built the museum downtown, so very cool, yeah. And he donated a lot of his artwork, too. Didn't yeah, you most
1: know? of his artwork was donated uh, to those charities. It's too bad it's not, not, you know, shown more often, or I haven't seen hardly any kind of retrospectives or, you know, where the, where the collection has been shown or exhibited.
0: So Is some of it at the university? Or? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. The university must have a vast vault of, uh, paintings, because um, he mostly collected paintings. Uh, in fact, he has one of my one of my pieces was in his collection, and uh, is in that vault somewhere. Why weren't so, you able to get it back? <laughs> well, no, that's the university uh, decided that you know they what they wanted and what would be sold, and oh yeah, so and they chose one of my pieces as part of his collection.
0: And you didn't mind parting with it? No. no. Uh, okay.
1: No, it was a picture I had, had had actually taken with Gilbert. Oh, cool. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: Um, I don't even really actually think I've ever seen a picture of Gilbert. I'll have to pull one out from you. Uh,
1: there are very, very few that survived. <laughs> he was one guy that never liked his picture taken, never liked to be photographed. Uh, you know, when he died, no obituary. Uh, he didn't really want to, you know, anybody to know about it. We had a a memorial for him, you know, several months later, and there was no funeral uh, other than this memorial uh, in his garden. Um, And I continued to kind of uh, take over the garden, and uh, you know, just, and then when Roger and Kathy bought the house, uh, they kept me on as as the gardener, and uh, it kind of became my own vision then, you know, so. And uh, yeah, I still continue a lot of uh, Gilbert's traditions and I still have a lot of his plants in my garden. Uh, <laughs> How'd you get some of those? Yeah, <laughs> okay. you just take clippings of them, you know. Um, in fact, these daylilies right out here, those, those were all out of Gilbert's, Gilbert's garden. And he had an eye for kind of unusual and exotic things. Uh, more unusual because he was an unusual guy mm-hmm. um, so it matched his personality and uh, you know so I feel like fortunate that some of that continues on you know in my own yard yeah
0: So. Uh, very cool and cool to have a, a mentor like that I think going, growing yeah. up through some of the I almost feel like I need a mentor later in life than, than earlier on but <laughs> yeah. it just sounds like a cool guy to, to learn from yeah yeah um, trying to think of what else I was going to ask you about Gilbert. Did he do most of the landscaping before you came along to help him? Did he do it himself or did he kind of hire people to do that stuff?
1: Yes. Gilbert was enthusiastic about it, but not really a worker bee. So he would always hire things or, you know, have these ideas or these concepts. And when I first got to know him, he did spend more time in the garden. Uh, but then he was always too busy, and I think he just was impressed with how well I took to it and took it over. And so he was like, oh, well, you just do this. And, you know, he would we would walk through the garden in the morning, and he would start naming off all these things that he wanted done. And I said, hey, wait, I can only remember three things, so you can only tell me three things a day. <laughs> so, and... uh he would he would kind of respect that and you know I would try to work on the three key ideas you know that he would have for that day,
0: so cool and he I remember Justin telling me that they would do um he would open up the house too to other people to oh. like, ice cream socials or whatever yeah he
1: was always about charities and you know uh, funding particularly anything arts or gay community. Um, And so, you know, he just opened his house and he was very generous, uh, you know, to create, you know, social events, you know, and fundraisers, you know, for different organizations. So, but he was very reclusive. So when he would have these events, he would find one person and he would attach himself to that one person and he would spend the whole event with that one person, <laughs> somebody he could, you know, kind of that relate he could show just, the garden, yeah. or you know, talk about you know the history of their roots in Montana, and you know, he was born and raised in Montana, Missoula, and so you know, he was always about you know, um, you know, historically, you know, where where people that were were from here, so. I think that's why he and I hit it off so well. And we both loved movies. Uh, we used to have a tradition where we went to the movies every Saturday. Good, bad, you know, we saw some really awful movies. We saw some amazing movies. And, you know, when he uh, uh, got his brain tumor um, and was able to venture out, I kept uh, taking him out to the movies still on Saturdays. And uh, He was terrified of the movies then, he was just absolutely terrified um, of what he was seeing in the screen, and uh, I remember we saw The Four Feathers, that was probably the last movie we saw together, The Four Feathers, it was the one with Heath Ledger, and he was just horrified, you know, uh, with, you know, how they treated people, you know, in that. So
0: in the in the film in the film okay I haven't seen that one either yeah oh
1: my god it's it's a it's a great movie you're
0: leaving me with a list of of movies that I got to see yeah so I'm gonna write that down uh-huh four feathers and Heath Ledger's in it yeah interesting
1: yeah very unusual movie for Heath Ledger so it was a remake of a, a earlier old classic so and Gilbert liked old old movies old classics so yeah.
0: Now, how do you feel about going to the movies now?
1: <laughs> mm, not so much. Yeah, I mean, I feel fortunate if I see a movie every other year. Yeah. So they're think, just not the 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 experience is just not, not exciting anymore.
0: Yeah, I think the last movie I saw, which I was actually really surprised and really impressed with, was uh, with you when we saw Rocket Man. Oh yeah, I think that's the last movie I've seen in theater. Yeah, I think
1: that was the last movie I
0: saw in theater too. Now with COVID, but I remember being kind of hesitant to go. You know, I'm like, "Eh, musical. I don't really (laughs) normally dig musicals, but it was really good.
1: Yeah, yeah, Elton John. You can't go wrong with Elton John. Yeah, Uh, Elton John was the very first album I ever owned. Really? Yes, Rock of the Westies. (laughs) I was probably twelve wonder how old Elton John is. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, I had a little uh, scratch needle uh, record player. You know, those old paste-up boxes that had the scratch needle on it. And uh, I would play that album over and over and over and over. And finally, I think my parents got tired of hearing it. And so they either threw it out, it somehow got lost, uh, and they bought me something else.
0: (laughs) Do you remember what they bought you or no? I cannot remember. (laughs) But
1: Elton John was always one of those people that was kind of this mythic kind of guy that had this kind of assorted personality that I always kind of was enthralled and infatuated with. So lots of glasses, he had lots of glasses. Extremely eccentric.
0: Yeah, they, so. they did a good job at showing that in the movie, I thought. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they did. And kind of a little bit, I don't know if is the right word to use for his outfits, but. Oh my God! <laughs> Gotti is a perfect word. They were so over the top. Yeah. yeah, so.
1: And that's the way he was in real life, from what I remember. Yeah, he was definitely uh, one of those guys that was written up in the tabloids all the time for being so
0: eccentric. Was he one of the people that ended up owning a t- pet tiger? Or am I mixing that up? Did you uh, I it? don't know. Okay, I might be mixing that up. Yeah. Um, Kind of an ending question. If you could travel, if the world opens back up and you were to travel, is there anywhere you'd want to travel, whether in the U.S. or outside of the U.S., and go on vacation? Hmm. Anywhere you've been you want, or haven't been and want to see?
1: Mm, I would say Venice. Uh, I've traveled uh, quite a bit and all the years of being on the road uh, working in theater um, I have to say Paris is one of my favorite cities I've been there twice uh, to me that's just magic because of the gardens and the history and you know I love the old earthy streets um and uh the cathedrals and you know wandering the alleys to me it's it's just so romantic um and i love new york of course new york is just i don't know where i would want to go so i feel like i've been everywhere Hmm. um i feel like i really haven't taken a vacation in about 10 years uh because there's no place i really want to go
0: at this point, so. Not a big fan of the tropics?
1: No. I, I have a phobia about oceans.
0: I forgot about that. Yeah. Is it all water or is it just.
1: Uh, <laughs> um, mostly salt waters. Uh, I can't even put my feet in the ocean. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no. I, something must have happened when I was a kid and I can't remember what it was. And it must have happened to my brother too because I asked my brother about it and he doesn't go in the ocean either. So, um, so Glenn and I went to Hawaii uh, several years ago. Of course, it was a Grizz football game, so we had to go to Hawaii. So, Glenn booked the ticket, and I remember I could not go in the water whatsoever. Is Glenn so, a fan?
0: I can't picture Glenn really being a fan of beaches and... No, you know, I don't think he either. was. Yeah, He yeah. doesn't seem so, like a... Neither of you seem like pool people, like you're going to no, sit in uh, frolic or, yeah. or soak in the sun. It just yeah. doesn't seem like your cup of tea. Yeah, yeah.
1: that'll probably be the, the way I die, is, you know, I'll drown somehow, you know. Um, there'll be a flash flood that, like, rolls through our property and I'll get submerged, you know, under a beam or something. Poseidon adventuresque. Uh, and, you know, be play as Shelley Winters and just collapse. Uh, so... I'm guessing. So
0: <laughs> Hopefully not from your own stream in your backyard. The, right. the ditch that you spend well, all the time working on. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I used to have this terrible phobia about falling. You know. And you know. And so finally I just faced it and I went skydiving. You know. Maybe you know I need to do some transcontinental you know flight and you know uh, have my plane crash into the ocean and it'll be like lost, you know, and uh, you know, it'll just get me over that fear of the ocean. But it would have to be forced, like skydiving, I was forced out of the plane. Though I couldn't let go, but eventually I did. And it was actually pretty miraculous. I don't have any more falling dreams. (laughs) Cured you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it cured me.
0: Yeah, first time I went skydiving I remember being absolutely terrified to just look out but it's like once you once once you leave the door it's mm-hmm. just like you don't you don't care anymore and I don't oh. I I still don't really care for heights like I don't like standing up on super tall bridges or yeah. or I guess cliffs or, yeah. or super sharp yeah. drops but um well, I, hanging out in the sky like parasailing's never been fun but
1: Yeah, when I was in Dallas one of the jobs I did was uh, I worked uh, construction on high-rise buildings and uh, you know that I could do you know that, that didn't bother me I mean there is a queasiness when you get right out to the edge there um, but particularly when the wind's blowing yeah I couldn't do yeah. that job yeah I remember <laughs> I went I, I actually hiked to the top of the Eiffel Tower and the wind started blowing and there was a storm coming in and they're like Ah everybody get out of here get out of here you know and uh, I remember I went clear up the top, because you used to be able to stand on the top, where you were in the elements, and you could wow. see the crystals, you know, surrounding you and coming at you, and uh, just that was very euphoric. Um, and, of course, the Eiffel Tower, you look down, and there's nothing, you know, below you, because, you know, the framework is on the outside of it, and it's freestanding in the middle, so... Well, I guess not freestanding, so that'd be wrong, because you look at it from the outside and it's definitely <laughs> standing. Uh, but it feels like it's freestanding. So, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to go
0: off on it. No, that. you're fine. I was actually trying to also think about how to get you over your uh, fear of water without terrifying you or drowning you. I don't think floating, yeah. floating the river would be a good one. Just to no, drown.
1: I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a river fan either. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and. Uh, You know, when I was a kid, we used to spend all of our summers up at Flathead Lake, and I swam all summer up there. I'm a good swimmer, you know, I think I'm, you know, I do, do okay with that, but I was a little leery up there too, Mm. you know, I always heard there was a monster in the lake, and so maybe it's the beasties and the monsters in the ocean that are faster and bigger than I am, and you know, they'll just engulf me, even if I put my feet in the water, you know, along the beach. So, who knows?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not everybody's cup of tea. Right. <laughs> um, if anybody's interested in finding you and seeing some of your photo work, would you want to advertise anything? A website or, oh, or social yes. media? Or uh, like that
1: you can connect to me at Sirphoto.com. That's C-Y-R-P-H-O-T-O dot com. Um, and that sends you links to my Instagram and my facebook and you know kind of has artwork and you know uh jobs i still work i try to make money at it uh, so <laughs>